0: CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live Bible answer program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a question on the Bible or the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. That's 1-8888-ASK-CSN. Now let's get things started. Here's today's
1: host. Well, hello there, everybody and welcome to this Tuesday edition to, to Every Man and Answer. I'm your host, John Randall, filling in for Pastor Mike today and so glad to be here with you on the program. If you have a question about the Bible, about the Christian faith, what we believe, why we believe it, is it even in the Bible? Maybe you heard something recently or... Uh, have a question about prophecy or Old Testament, New Testament. You know, here on the program, we love to get those Bible questions and be able to point you to scripture. And, uh, I'm so thankful to be here with you today on this Tuesday and joining me, my friend, and you know him well, we have Pastor Jeff Wickwire from Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Pastor Jeff, thanks so much for being on the program today. It's a blessing to be able to work with you.
2: Yeah, good to be with you, John. Looking forward to a great show. Uh, we've already got a couple of lines filled. Uh, They could still call in and we will get to it within the first 30 minutes, Lord willing. But I believe it's going to be a good one. People have Bible questions, especially with all the things unfolding in our world today that just go from kind of crazy and insane to catastrophic to very distressing. And uh, people are wondering, hey, what is what is going on? And and, uh, is there any truth to what the Bible says? And what does the Bible say about what's going on? And that's why we're here, to answer those questions, uh, Lord willing. So,
1: so good to be with you, John. Looking forward to a great show. I appreciate that, brother. Hey, listen, folks, if you're listening, um, encourage you to dial 888-ASK-CSN. Call us here. We'd love to hear from you. And so let's get right into the phones. We're going to go to Karen at Prineville, Oregon. Uh, Karen, you're on to Every Man and Answer.
3: Yes, well, I hope you can hear me okay, because I'm on my car radio. Yeah, we can hear
1: you loud and clear.
3: Oh, oh perfect. Okay, well, I'm going to try to do this without crying. Okay, okay breathe. Um, we had CSN pray for uh, a young man named Nick Sims. He had a brain tumor, and it was behind his ear, and the doctors gave him the prognosis that he would be in, you know, this the hospital for two or three weeks. Um, he was going to have to learn to walk and re talk. Um, we asked him if he wanted to get baptized with the Holy Spirit right before surgery, and he said, Absolutely. We asked for the Holy Spirit to, you know, just engulf him and keep him safe through the surgery. Jesus was in the surgery with him because the doctor said it was so much bigger than they thought it was going to be. He should have been paralyzed on part of his side Um, however Mm -hmm. um, he's walking he's talking his nurses commended him to be like the most wonderful patient they've ever had because he was so um, right out of anesthesia he was just praising all of the help that they gave him and so eloquently spoke and was able to get up right away and walk across the room to um, use the facilities um, I think the best part is is that, um, yeah, he was so hungry for the Word. He didn't watch a bit of te- television that we were reading him the Bible in his recovery. And it was just, it's been marvelous. It's been marvelous. And he's progressing every day, pain levels going down. Um, the doctors and the nurses said that he was a celebrity in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And we're talking OHS which is a university hospital. And so they do all these special brain surgeries.
1: So. Wow. That is an amazing testimony. And I just want to say, praise God, praise God that he answers prayer. And that, you know, the amazing thing is that God is able to do what doctors can't. God, God uses doctors. Oftentimes their gifts their technology, the various things, but, but God is a God who can do anything. Impossible is not in his vocabulary. And so I just want to say, if you prayed, and you joined us in prayer. God heard us. We give him all the praise, all the glory. You know, Pastor Jeff, when, when sometimes people come and, and they have these major surgeries in your church or you get a diagnosis of cancer or some other uh, disease threatening a lot, I mean, how do you how do you respond to that? How do you tell your people? What do you say to those people maybe who are listening today and they've just gotten a diagnosis? What do we do?
2: Well, I believe that God heals in many ways. I mean, let's face it, medicine can be uh, a great gift Mm -hmm. it can be abused no doubt about that but medicine uh, comes from uh, at least to a large extent natural herbs and things you find in nature and uh, that god put there i i believe for amongst other things medicinal purposes and um you know so i believe god can heal through medicine i believe he can heal through the natural healing process that he gave the human body which is extraordinary You know, all kinds of things go uh, to battle for you inside your body when sickness or infection sets in. Uh, And then sometimes God heals supernaturally. And, of course, we believe him every single time for supernatural healing. Uh, Sometimes he does it. Sometimes he doesn't. And people say, well, how come I wasn't healed? Mm -hmm. And where I came to with that, John, is uh, when Billy Graham, for instance, would preach to a stadium full of people maybe 10% of the lost would come forward. What about the 90? Well, they walked away lost. Does that mean you quit preaching? No, you preach the gospel because the 10% were worth it. And, you know, maybe one out of 10 are healed supernaturally, maybe a little bit more. But uh, does that mean you stop praying for it? No, you keep praying for it because God, God may do it or he may use some other means to do it. And then, of course... When nothing can fix it and nothing can help it, then you have to wonder, all right, then what is God doing? Is, is he just going to work something into my character? You know, Paul had his infamous thorn in the flesh and he begged God three times to take it and God didn't take it. So he said, you know, I'm learning to lean on grace and in my weakness, he is made strong. So sometimes God doesn't seem to do anything but extend grace to carry us through it. And, you know, that takes as much faith as somebody who receives a miracle by faith because you're believing God every day to strengthen you, to grace you, to carry you. And God is so
1: faithful to do that. Well, again, Karen, thank you so much for sharing that praise report. Always great to hear how the Lord answers prayer. I encourage you to stay on the line. We'd love to send you some materials that I think will be an encouragement to you. And maybe you can pass them on to our friend who, uh, Kevin, I believe you said his name was, who received this, this care. And, 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 uh, but we'd love to stay in touch with you. Thanks again for calling. Let's go out to Nancy now in Arizona. Nancy, good afternoon and welcome to, to Every Man and Answer. You're on the air. Hi. Hi, Nancy.
3: Hi. Um, the, the question I have is, and I've been hearing uh, Pastor Mike, he spoke about it just, I think, yesterday, but not, I didn't get enough. It's about the seven-day Advent. I'm a little confused. I know they go for Saturday and there's certain other things. But can you clarify? Um, I'm gathering that is,
1: is it a cult or what? Mm, That's a really good question, Nancy. Uh, Seventh-day Adventism. Um, You know, Pastor Jeff, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what they believe and some of the concerns that we have when looking at some of the teachings that are coming out of the Seventh-day Adventist church?
2: Well, uh, first of all, they were founded in the 1800s by Ellen White, who was considered a prophet. And a lot of what Ellen White uh, predicted didn't come to pass. And a lot of things that she taught are certainly not orthodox uh Christian teaching. Um I the, the Seventh day Adventists teach that uh when someone dies, uh their soul sleep, their soul goes to sleep. Uh does it, it not immediately go into either Hades or into the presence of the Lord based on whether or not you're saved. They don't believe in an eternal hell, which is certainly not orthodox. Um the churches always taught uh, based on what Jesus said and many other passages uh, that are Pauline and Petrine, uh, that is that Paul and Peter wrote, and others that uh, certainly describe hell as eternal, but they teach otherwise. Um, things like that. Uh, they even teach that Jesus Christ, uh, as when he came to earth, he, of course he was all man, all God, all God, all man, but they teach that the man part was fallen, like Adam. And, uh, of course, that's simply not true. Uh, in my opinion, that would border on heresy, if not full-on heresy, because Jesus did not have an earthly father, so the Adamic nature could not be passed on to him. But that's what they teach, and things like that. And so, uh, is it a cult? Um, again, their teaching is not orthodox, Uh, They do believe, of course, that um, the Sabbath is on Saturday and you ought to do your church services on Saturday, whereas we believe in the the Protestant uh, church that Jesus is our Sabbath and um, any day is a holy day, Um, and you certainly don't have to meet on a Saturday and keep the Mosaic Sabbath because that is the one of the Ten Commandments that was not carried over into the New Covenant we had to meet on Saturday, uh, like the Jewish people did under Moses, and observe that Sabbath. No, Jesus, according to Hebrews, is our Sabbath. So nine of the Ten Commandments were moved over in the New Covenant and are relevant for us today, except for that one. So there again, we would part ways with the teaching of the Seventh-day Adventist. So when I recommend somebody becoming a part of it, in all honesty, I wouldn't. I don't know your thoughts on that, John, but those are just a few of the things they teach, and there's many others mm-hmm. that, uh, again, they're just not orthodox.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you on that, Jeff. I think there's some things uh, in the teaching, whether it's you know only worship on Saturday, certain you know trying to put yourself under the dietary laws of the mm-hmm. Old Testament, and and other things like that. A it can become uh, an outward form of r- righteousness, and I would say you know, it it reminds me of what Paul wrote to the Galatians. I read the book of Galatians and I oftentimes think of that epistle and it reminds me of some of the things that the Seventh-day Adventists have uh, kind of incorporated. And so I would say, yeah, to to someone who's seeking to be in a Bible teaching church, I I would avoid Seventh-day Adventism. I think it can be very legalistic and I think um, it gets away from grace. And, and I think some of the, as you pointed out, the teachings are not some of them are not biblical. That's enough for me to go. No, I'm not gonna. This isn't a matter yeah. of opinion. Your opinion, like, no, that's that's flat out wrong. So I would I would avoid it. And I think there's a lot of good churches out there that you can find that are going to teach the Bible. And um, you know, so I, I would avoid uh, the Seventh Day Adventists. Uh, and again, there may be some people. And I, I don't know. Maybe it's there's varying degrees of Seventh Day Adventism. Like, hey, these guys aren't. They broke off, and they're not exactly. They don't believe all that, but they still worship on Saturdays. I, I'm not really sure on that, but I think I would avoid it. And um I would think about what Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, and let no man judge you in meat or in drink or in respect to a holy day or new moon or the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body of yeah. Christ, I think so often in the Seventh-day Adventist movement, they are embracing the shadow and um they're trying to hug a shadow. And, and that's really uh, – we need to embrace Christ. And so I think it's important. And Nancy, I hope that helps. Thank you. Yes, I just, you
3: you mentioned that they think that Jesus, when he was down here, was sin?
2: No, that his body was fallen, that his, the man part, uh, you know, you're dealing here with he the whole, the, the fancy term for it in theology is the hypostatic union, and that is that when Jesus came to earth, he was all God, all man, all man, all God. He was both. And uh, as Paul said, in him uh, dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So he was a man, but he was also deity. Now, the teaching of the uh, Seventh-day Adventist church, at least my understanding is, uh, they say that the man part, his body, his physical body was fallen like Adam's, like post-sin Adam. Like after the fall, Adam, post fall Adam, uh, when he, he was fallen, that Jesus body was a fallen body and, um, uh, you know, not pre, not pre Adam, but post Adam's fall. So, um, you know, again, you got to be real careful there because his father was not earthly. And the way Adam was passed on to the whole human race was through the male. Uh, men being the the heads, uh, and so the the uh, Adamic nature was passed through Adam, not Eve, and so you got to be careful when you say that his body was fallen, because that would mean he came from Adam or was attached to Adam somehow, and he was not. His father was God, hence he's the only begotten son of God. So real careful with that. So I, I think that's one area. Where the Seventh Day Adventists um, go sideways theologically, and that's not orthodox teaching either.
1: Yeah, I think there again, there are some Seventh Day Adventists that probably believe identically to Orthodox Christians, other than holding uh, to the Saturday Sabbath. Um, others go much farther, as as Pastor Jeff pointed out, into aberrant doctrine. And those you have to listen. If you want to go to church on Saturday, and that that's all they're teaching. Okay. I got no problem with that. You, I go to church on Saturday. Praise God. I go to church whenever it's, I don't mean, be there whenever it's open. Yeah. I worship God every day. That's right. If that's a means of righteousness or if you don't go on Saturday, then you're not truly keeping the Sabbath. You're not really worshiping God. That, that is a problem because that's not biblical. So Nancy, thanks so much for calling and uh, encourage you to stay on the line. Love to send you out some resources. That'd be an encouragement to you and uh, look forward to hearing from you again. God bless you out there in Arizona. Let's go out to Alice in Bighorn. Hey, Bighorn, Wyoming. Welcome. Great to have you on the program, Alice. You. <laughs> Thank
3: you. Um, why did Noah curse Canaan and not Ham?
1: Mm, that is a really good question. You know, back there in the book of Genesis... Noah he built that ark, took 120 years, the Bible tells us, warning people as a preacher of righteousness before a worldwide flood came and only Noah and his family survived as well as two of every type of animal finally after the 40 days and 40 nights it rains and rains and rains they finally land it seems on mount ararat the water begins to rescend and then sends out a dove sends out a raven you know that story it comes back and then at the very end he gets out builds an altar everything's going great offers sacrifice to god in worship and then he decides you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna build i'm gonna make mm-hmm. a vineyard and so he's the he, Creates a vineyard. He builds a vineyard. You know, starts growing. He starts making wine. He has too much. He's uncovered in his tent, and then something happens. And Pastor Jeff, what happened? And why did he curse Canaan?
2: Well, you know, the Bible is not super clear on why. Uh, there, there's several um, uh, speculations. I think a really good one is that um, that Noah somehow prophetically foresaw uh Canaan's future. Of course, Canaan came out of Ham. Uh, Canaan is Ham's descendants. So that he foresaw uh Canaan uh and the Canaanite people. And of course uh when um Moses took the children of Israel into the promised land and conquered the Canaanites, all of the Hittites and Moabites and Amalekites and all the otherites, uh those were Canaanites. And so perhaps Noah prophetically foresaw where they were going and therefore cursed them. Uh, I do know that Ham's transgression, and I do believe it was a genuine transgression, was he uncovered his father's nakedness. That is, the Bible says Noah got drunk, as you know. He he got drunk, and the Bible tells the truth about the saints in it and their failures and their successes. And he did get drunk. Uh He apparently... Um, conked out naked, and uh, Ham was the first one to go into the cave where he was, and instead of uh, covering him up and honoring him, he went out, and the Bible says he broadcast his father's sin. And that was very disrespectful. It was dishonoring. It was something he shouldn't have done. And we note that when Shem and Japheth went in, they went in backward. They didn't even look at him. They went in backward with a covering, and they covered him up. And the Bible says, when Noah regained his senses, woke up, and and got his wits about him, he knew what Ham had done. Uh, so Ham did transgress; he did do wrong. Why he didn't directly curse Ham? Again, the Bible doesn't say. But we but the Canaanites were his descendants. And again, it could be that Noah foresaw. Where they were going to go, uh, how they were going to live in sin and paganism and horrible idolatry, all kinds of horrible practices, and uh, so he uh, therefore prophetically cursed them. So
1: that that's one possibility, John. Yeah, that's a good that's a good response. You know, it also says in Genesis chapter nine, verse one, that God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply in the earth." So God had blessed Ham. But, uh, again, perhaps the other suggestion is maybe Canaan had something to do with the uncovering, uh, of his grandfather. We don't know for sure, but I, I think it's a good suggestion that you make. And as you read through the Bible, you realize, wow, look at what these people became. God knew in advance. And, and here we see, uh, perhaps a prophetic word spoken by Noah. They're in the scriptures, and uh, we do know the Canaanites were, and and historically speaking, you go back and look at some of the things. We couldn't even talk about what the Canaanites were involved with on this program. It was so defiling and and so disgusting. And so, um, Alice, it's a great question you ask, and appreciate your call Um, if you stay on the line. Does that help you, by the way? Oh, it
3: was a wonderful answer. I agree 100%.
1: All right. Well... God bless you out there, Alice. And, um, we'd love to send you some materials. If you'd stay on the line, uh, some of our friends can help you. And thanks again for calling and thanks for listening out there in Bighorn, Wyoming. You know, Jeff, I just want to say it's fun to say Bighorn. I don't know why. I just think it's fun. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're going to go. It's a, let's it's go an from. Impressive name. It is. It really is. I mean, it's not Little Horn. Yeah. So that's good. Uh, yeah. let's go from Wyoming. Listen, we're headed down to South Dakota with Annette. Annette, you're on to Every Man and Answer. Thanks so much for calling. How can we help you?
3: Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I was just going to ask a quick question here. Um, I'm in my 50s and have been a Christian my entire life, but unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess, raised Catholic, we were told not to delve into the Bible because we wouldn't understand it. So I recently got um, a study Bible by a very popular pastor that I've started to read, And I know you shouldn't go cover to cover, but I'm just looking for suggestions how to dive in so I can learn and learn and learn.
1: Oh, that's great. It's a good question. I I don't, I, I, first of all, I commend you for um, making it a practice to go through the Bible. You know, it's amazing, Pastor Jeff, how many people have been Christians for a long time and have never actually read through the entirety of Scripture. And they say, well, I don't, I've heard people say, well, I just read the New Testament because the Old Testament, well, it's old, so no. Listen, they they tie yeah. together. They they go together. They, a, oh, story. they are. There's a, there's absolutely. a theme. and so how would you encourage Annette in South Dakota? What's a good way for us to learn as we read through the Bible?
2: Well, Annette, you got my curiosity up. Who wrote your study Bible? Who who was it?
1: Pastor Jeremiah.
2: Oh, David Jeremiah. A good okay, one. I'm sure that's, that's a, good a good one. one. Yeah. Uh, what I would suggest is uh, one thing, as John already said, uh, a lot of Christians have their little favorite pet verses, devotional verses, you know, uh, God so loved the world or, you know, um, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own, own understanding. Um, they have little pet verses, devotional verses they read and it's sort of like a verse a day keeps the devil away. But here's the thing uh what the day we're living in right now that is so infested with false teaching thanks to uh social media giving uh platform to so many false teachers i've never seen more false teaching uh false prophecies false everything in my life it's just uh everywhere so because of that christians more than ever need to understand the entire warp and woof of scripture uh you know cuz the whole thing ties together it is a unified whole. It's not just a couple of verses that I like that make me feel better or increase my faith, but we need to understand from Genesis to Revelation how the plan of salvation unfolded. Uh, you know, all that the Bible contains about God's plan of the ages being worked through, uh, various dispensations, and so on and so forth. So, we, in other words, we need to understand the whole Bible. So what we've done in my church, we put together a calendar this year and, uh, for every day we have a scripture reading so that when together as a church family, we also made it available on the air at CSN, but as a church family, we're all going through the Bible, the entire Bible cover to cover together. And, uh, so, um, I would suggest doing that, getting a a one year Bible and, uh, uh, then also what you have, uh, as far as a, um, a, a study Bible, that's great. I know the number one study Bible out there is the NIV application study Bible. That's the number one. And, uh, there are several great ones out there and they have great commentary uh, so that, uh, you know, you can read a verse and you go, what in the world does that mean? Especially when you're trekking through some of the Old Testament passages, Leviticus and so on and so forth. A lot of it is just, meaningless unless you have somebody telling you what it means. So I would look at getting, uh, Annette, a, a one-year Bible where you literally go through it in one year, and then the study Bible you have, David Jeremiah, uh, giving great commentary. I, I think you're well on your way to getting a really good grip on Scripture. So just the cherry on top of the sundae would be go get a one-year Bible and even if you've got to dive in right now on, you know, the day that it is and pick up where it begins uh, on, on the day that it happens to be like, you know, today, the 13th, you could just go buy one and start today and go through it. And I think that it will all start coming together for you.
1: Oh, thank you, Jeff. And you know, the great thing in that is that, you know, you, you just, you go through, you don't have to just keep going through the Bible. For me, I love to read through the scriptures. I use a Bible app that kind of chronicles, hey, you read Old Testament, New Testament, also read Psalms and Proverbs. You can read from cover to cover. You can read the New Testament through the end and then go back to the Old Testament, come back around. I mean, there's all different ways you can read it. The most important thing is that the Bible uh, that that you're reading it. In fact, I, I read a quote uh, last night where it says, what makes the difference is not how many times you've been through the Bible, but how many times and how thoroughly the Bible has been through you. And that's what really makes the difference. That's a great quote. As we go through the scriptures and, um hey, just keep on reading. And I'd encourage you to write things down too. I have a journal. I write things down that the Lord speaks to me and uh and things that I see verses that stand out. And I find that that's a really great way to to study the Bible. And and remember, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you as you read through the scriptures. I used to, I I will open up and pray and say, Lord, speak to me. So uh Annette, thanks so much for for calling. I encourage you to stay on the line and we'd love to send you out some materials. Folks, I can't believe it. We've already gone through 30 minutes uh, on this program. We are now right up to the coming up to the second half. Stick around. We've got more for you. Hey, be sure to call 8888. 8888- Ask ESN if you have a question. Look forward to hearing from you. Stick around.
4: If you are 65 or older, you know this. Watching your hard earned dollars fly out the window on health care costs is so frustrating. But here's some great news. If you were just notified that your Medicare costs are increasing, A program out there can really help you with your medical bills, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare 65 Plus, it's not insurance. Members actually say it's better. It's a Christian healthcare community that aligns with your faith and where people encourage and pray for you. And MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B, and it fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. You choose any Medicare provider, and you get telehealth access anytime you need it. And this is great too. Unlike health insurance, you can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. So don't get stuck with increasing costs. Call MediShare Plus and find out how much you can save. Call 83390SHARE. That's 83390SHARE. 83390SHARE.
5: Are you ready to study to show yourself approved? A workman not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth? In this sad, lonely, and lost generation, People need help. They need Jesus. And who can present the gospel better than you? Calvary Chapel University wants to be a helper of your joy, so you can go out and make disciples who make disciples. Go to calvarychapeluniversity.edu and apply today, and you'll earn outstanding scholarships. Most of our CCU graduates graduate early or on time, debt-free, and sound doctrinally. Go to calvarychapeluniversity.edu and apply today. Skip Heitzik is one of our faculty members, and David Guzik is not only a board member, but he just earned his Master of Divinity at CCU. Go to calvarychapeluniversity.edu and apply today and watch God move powerfully in your life.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to this Tuesday edition of To Every Man and Answer. I'm your host, John Randall, from Calvary South O.C., located in San Clemente, California. And joining me today on the program is my friend, Jeff Wickwire, pastor of Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Jeff, again, what a great first half. Looking forward to this next half of the program as we go from South Dakota, now making our way out to Arizona and we've got Dennis on the line with a really great question Dennis thanks so much for calling today how can we help
5: thank you yeah one quick question uh in the rapture are all children taken up you know in the movie left behind you know there was a woman there and her baby sort of t- disappeared on her I is and where in scripture is that somebody mm. you know i I just want are all children taken up or only believers children or and then that age of discernment.
1: Okay. Yeah, it's a really good question that you asked, Dennis. And and I, um, you know, first of all, Pastor Jeff, you know, when we think about the rapture of the church, I think that there's some places that maybe they don't even mention what that is. First of all, what is the rapture of the church for our CSN listeners? And then secondly... Who's going to be raptured? Will children be raptured or do they have to reach an age of accountability? It's a good question that Dennis asks.
2: It is. And um rapture is from a uh, word that simply means to be caught up or seized up. It's the Greek harpazo. Mm. And harpazo is talking about really being grabbed hold of uh, forcefully and taken up. It, it's not a gentle word. It, it is like when the rapture happens, we're not going to kind of float up and wave at each other on the way up. No, it, it says in a moment in the twinkling of an eye moment, being the Greek atomos. Uh, so in a moment of time that you have a hard time, even dividing uh, the church will be caught up and we will meet the Lord in the air in the clouds. And the Bible says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's first Thessalonians four. And, um, First Corinthians 15. So it's, um, it's a very powerful word. Now, uh, whether or not children are taken up, I don't know because the Bible doesn't say uh, just in first Thessalonians four, you know, Paul is, is, uh, comforting the church. They have been uh, troubled by some false teaching that the resurrection had already happened and, um, they were wondering about their, uh, their loved ones who had died and uh, what was going to happen to them. And so Paul sends them this comforting word in 1 Thessalonians 4 on the rapture. He says, we sorrow when our loved ones die, but not as those who have no hope. We have hope. And then he tells us what the hope is, that the rapture of the church is going to happen, that when when we say goodbye to a Christian loved one on this earth, it's not a permanent goodbye, as so long as we also are Christians and have been born again. If you, as a born-again person, lose a loved one who's born again, Paul is saying, hey, this is not a permanent goodbye. It's temporary, because we're going to meet the Lord with them in the clouds. So shall we ever be with the Lord. So when it comes to children, uh, I would have to say the Bible is silent on that. I don't know. I don't know of a verse. The only thing I could turn to would be, as you mentioned, John, the age of accountability and uh, for instance, when you go to David, when King David lost his little newborn boy, mm-hmm. the first born uh, with Bathsheba, um, when that little boy died, David said to the people around him, he said, Look, I can't bring him back, but I will one day go to him. Now, I've used that uh, many times when conducting a funeral, Uh, where a child has passed away because that lets us know that when a child that is, that has not reached the age of accountability for their sin dies, clearly according to scripture, they go to heaven because David said, I'm going to go one day I'll die and I'll go to heaven and I'll see my little boy again. Mm -hmm. So that's very comforting to me that. And that's one of the few hints that we have in the Bible. Uh, about this whole uh doctrine of uh the age of accountability, but I think it's real. So will children who have not reached that age of accountability go to heaven in the rapture? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but I will say it's possible. I just don't know, John.
1: Right. No, it's a really good—and I think that's where the Bible is silent, we're silent. I would lean that way. I do believe— uh, just based on the character and the nature of God, Jesus talks about children repeatedly. He said, such is the kingdom of heaven. I, I, I do believe that if a child never had a chance to come to that place where they understood that they would be with the Lord. Um, I, I also think of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 where Paul is talking to uh, believers. I mean, this isn't a proof text, but I'm just saying it reminds me where Paul is talking to believers and unbelievers. And he's talking about husband and wife and the influence of a believing spouse in a home that in some way sanctifies the child um I, I i don't know that that again could be a proof text but i i lean toward that that the lord is is gracious and merciful he mm-hmm. loves children such as the kingdom of heaven let the children come unto me mm-hmm. i i have i believe that that those kids will be with the lord but i also do believe there is an age of accountability when your faith has to become your own, and uh, but I'll tell you this: uh, out of all of this, I'm really looking forward to the rapture of the church. I don't, I don't think there's one problem, Jeff, right now that couldn't be solved in and many people's lives with the rapture of the church. I think uh, we're we're waiting. We should be anticipating the return of the Lord, looking for because the interesting thing about the rapture, just to add on, is that we believe that it is imminent, meaning it could happen at any time we're not waiting for some other thing to take place prophetically for the rapture of the church. It could be any day. It could be any moment. And so before uh, the show ends, yeah, we want to be ready. And so, uh, Dennis, thank you so much for the call. And we like you, we, we kind of, you know, I I do believe that children are going to be with the Lord and raptured. Um, but all children, I, we can't say emphatically, um, but, uh, but it's it's a good question you ask. So uh, does that help you, Dennis? Uh,
5: Yes, uh, I I was given an answer before by someone else I called. They they said that if one of the parents was a believer, the child would be raptured. And I was just wondering if that's anywhere in Scripture.
1: Oh, that's where I was was quoting it. 1 Corinthians 7, yeah, is where I was looking for that specific, where it talks about the children are sanctified by the believing spouse. And and that's uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7 there in uh, verse 14. So that, that would probably be the passage that I was leaning toward that you just mentioned. So, um, yeah, I I appreciate the question. And Hey, listen, if you stay on the line, Dennis, we'd love to send you out some materials there in Arizona. Thanks so much for listening and taking time to call with such a great question today on the rapture of the church. Let's go out now to Northern California. And I have the initials R W with a really good question. And, uh, R.W. Uh, good to have you on the program today. How can we help you?
4: Well, thank you, pastors. Um, I've gone but go to a church. It's a, just a real solid church. It's been a good church. It's got to reach it reaches out. Um, it's it just it's a very and you know preaches the word, good worship and everything. But they refuse to talk about in time events and nothing about prophetic events or get into politics at all. Just absolutely believe that you know Romans 13 and, and Peter the discussion about not uh, talking about your leadership and right. anything so I just really uh, it's been a, a quandary for me but on the on the other side it's a very very solid church real good just uh, just solid teaching but they just refuse to stay away from that and the other question was what about church membership What's your feelings on uh, with a denominational church so yeah, that's great. that's the questions
1: Excellent questions. Thank you so much. You know, I just want to begin by commenting on this, you know, um, when churches don't talk about politics or end times, I think there are, Pastor Jeff, my experience, and and I live in a very, uh, I mean, our state, there's a lot going on. Well, I say all over the United States, but California, there's a lot happening. And RW knows this for sure, uh, where we live. Um, I think there has to be balance when it comes to speaking about political things. We have to remember that. Listen, um, uh, that, that's not, we don't major on that. I'm not afraid to talk about it. I, I don't have a problem, uh, having people register to vote, allowing the church to influence the state. I think that's important. You go back to the Constitution, the founding fathers, we, we get it. I I think we need to say something when it comes to issues that are evil, and we stand against evil. This isn't political. Mm-hmm. this This is biblical. This is this is a moral issue. We have a responsibility. At the same time, I do believe that you can become imbalanced, and all you do is talk about political mm-hmm. things. It's almost like you're exegeting. Um, CNN, you know, you just every week you want to bring Mm -hmm. up the hot topics and we're just going to constantly talk about this and that thing and Biden this and that. And and I think you can, you can really lose sight of what your role is as a shepherd, which is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry through the preaching and teaching of the word of God. So, you know, you see this happening, Jeff, what's your take on this?
2: Well, the way I get around it, because I I do believe, I think of the words of Jesus where he uh, talked about straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. In other words, you're majoring. He said to the Pharisees, "You're majoring on minors and minoring on majors. You're making a big deal out of something that's not that big, and you're not making a big deal out of something that is big." So, for any church or any pastor, I think the main thing is Jesus and the Christian life and teaching the Bible, bringing forth the Word of God, and um, that—that's what we're called to do: preach the Word, instant, in season and out of season, and so on and so forth. So, um, what I tell my folks is I'm not going to lose somebody from the congregation because I stand up and say, you know, I'm a diehard Republican. And if you're a Democrat, you know, you're going straight to hell or how can you be possibly be a Christian and be a Democrat? You know, I've heard people say things like this or I'm a libertarian and I don't go with Republican or Democrat. And, and, uh, then I've had people tell me you need to be talking politics all the time because of the state that our our country is in. So the way I approach it, you, you mentioned it, John, is I talk about values. I say, look, I don't vote for a person. I vote for a value. And nobody's going to have all my values. Nobody's going to have a 100%, 100% perfect track record of what I wish in a perfect world, my ideal candidate would be. So I look at, all right, who is standing for life? To me, that's, huge. right? If somebody is not pro-life, I don't even think about it, because that is a value that the Bible cares about. That is a Bible value. It's been politicized, but it's a Bible value. So as a Bible teacher, uh, I, it's easy for me to say, look, h- how can you vote uh, for a person who is going to slaughter children? Now, I can say that, uh, uh, Bible value, um, you know, morality, there are moral issues that are Bible values. And I can talk about that, but I say, look, when I pull the lever for anybody, it's because they had the most Bible values, not perfect, but they had the most. And so I pull the lever for them, unless, unless they're not pro-life. I can't do that. That's, that's me. You know, I know where you are on that, but I, I can't do that. Um, But I I tell the folks go out there and study what they believe, study what they stand for, figure it out, find out, read up on them, and then pull the lever for the person that is going to
1: put forward Bible values the most successfully. That's the way I approach it. Right, I think it's great, and I think, but I do believe RW to your point that that as pastors, people who sit in our congregations and listen to us, they want to know what, what where we stand on this. So if something is Is pressing And it's an issue. For example, this last Sunday, we have something here in California. They are trying to get a ballot initiative to get things on the ballot because it will not be heard in Sacramento. And so there's a lot of conservative people seeking to get issues that concern parents on the ballot to be voted for. They need half a million signatures by April to be able Mm -hmm. to do that. I had no problem standing up on Sunday morning and mentioning that to our congregation. That wasn't my sermon. It was an announcement. And if you're interested and you want to sign this ballot and get people to sign this petition, all you do is you go to the tent outside and they'll be happy to help you. There was a line practically around the building, people wanting to be involved. That, and then I preached my message mm. from Matthew's gospel. I have no problem. I, I was there in Sacramento standing against Prop a. I mean, I've, I've, I've gone there and I felt like that's what God wanted me to do. I marched for life. I'm a, I'm a good citizen. Amen. Present the Lord. And so as a good citizen, listen, this is a passage that I take to heart. James chapter four verse seventeen. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, mm. it is sin. To me, standing in front of an abortion clinic when they were trying to start it in Beverly Hills, and just being there to pray because I was invited, was a blessing. I was glad to stand there for for life. And guess what? It didn't open. God shut it down. It was a miracle. So there are moments when when we, I think you got to pick your spots. You don't spend all of your time. Emphasizing these things and and really get away from the Bible. That's what's going to change the world. It's the Scriptures. It's people getting in love with Jesus and knowing what the Word of God says. Because listen, my 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 life doesn't doesn't hang what happens in in the White House, but God's house. I trust the Lord; He's on the throne ultimately. Mm-hmm. But as a good citizen, I need to vote. And, and there's there's a huge, there's studies that have been done, Jeff, and you know this well. Where believers, mm-hmm. quote Bible believers, don't get out and vote, and then. I don't, you have no business complaining about what's going on in this government. If you, if you don't, don't vote, don't, don't complain. It. Yeah, yeah. So so to me, we have a responsibility. We should be a part of it. And um I think pastors should not be afraid. We should be bold as lions. The Bible talks about. And so I, I have no problem with it, but it's not my main thing. It's the peripheral, but I don't, I bring it to the forefront when it's necessary. But the second question that RW asked, and this is a good one. What about um membership do you have a formal membership do you have a denomination mm-hmm. what do you think about that non-denominational baptist first baptist second baptist uh you know all, all these de- Methodists. What, what do you think about denominations
2: well i i first of all um there's a bunch of them and you know most <laughs> denominations started uh somewhere in the in history with a move of god mm. you know the pentecostal certainly did uh, the assemblies of god uh, you know, the Baptists, you can go back in their history and something happened. There was a move of God and a denomination was built on it. Um, it was the impulse of Simon Peter <laughs> standing on the Mount of Transfiguration when he saw Jesus uh, talking to Moses and Elijah. He said he wanted to build a denomination right there. Hey, can we build you guys a tabernacle and let's make this permanent? And of course, it was just a momentary vision that God gave them of uh, Jesus with these, these two, one representing the law, of the other prophets. Um, but it was his impulse to somehow solidify and, uh, make what he was looking at a lasting denomination kind of thing. Um, I don't believe that God created them. I think that it was God's will, uh, that the church be one, uh, that the church be unified. Now, having said that, I don't think they're evil. I don't think they're they're bad. But I, I don't know that Jesus had in his mind a bunch of denominations when he died on the cross and rose from the dead and so on and so forth. But um, becoming a member, because back in the early church, if you were in Philippi, there was a Philippian church. If you were in Rome, there was a Roman church. If you were in uh, Thessalonica, there was a Thessalonian church. But there was only one. And uh, so you didn't have to, you know, pray about, well, where am I to go in Thessalonica? There was just one church. Now there's a, three churches on every corner. So here's what I believe about it quickly. Um, I believe that God does plant people in a local fellowship. He that is planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God, the psalmist said. I believe there is something to be said for committing To a local fellowship to add your gifting, to play a part in strengthening it, to being fed uh, spiritually primarily there. I don't believe he wants us to be flaky. Uh, I don't think he wants us looking at uh, churches like restaurants. Uh, where, Where do you want to eat this Sunday? Well, I'm in the mood for some good faith preaching. Let's go to the faith church. Or I'm in the mood for you know community. Let's go to the Catholic church. I don't believe that uh, God moves us around that way. I believe that primarily the Holy Spirit plants people in a fellowship and says, this is your pastor, these are your elders, this is your church family, I want you to flourish here. And I believe that's his will. And, and uh, you know, John, I don't know about you, but when I was called to ministry many moons ago, it happened after I got really committed in a local fellowship and as I was worshiping God in this local fellowship and serving in whatever way that I could, the fire of God came upon me in my in my spirit to preach the word of God. And I discovered my calling after getting planted in a local church. I do believe God gave the local church as a, uh, a place where Christians are to discover their gift, learn to use their gift, as well as being fed there and growing Christ there, with a family of believers. That's what
1: I believe about local church. All right. You know, when I was growing up, our church, we used to have a statement of faith and it was on our bulletin and I haven't forgotten it, but it says, and I'm part of the Calvary chapels of churches. So um, yeah, growing up at the church I was at, they had it on our bulletin that Calvary chapel has been formed as a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And our supreme desire is to know Christ is to be conformed to his image by the power of the Holy spirit. And then it says this, It said on there, we are not a denominational church, nor are Mm -hmm. we opposed to denominations as such, only their overemphasis of the doctrinal differences that have led to the division of the body Mm -hmm. of Christ. And I think that, that, it was so balanced for me. I'm not opposed to the denominations. I have Baptist brothers, et cetera.
2: Yeah. Heaven, it's not like
1: there's, it's going to be compartmentalized. Like, hey, Calvary, you guys are in the back and, uh, the Baptists, you guys are up front. Methodists, you're on the side. I mean, there's going to be one church. So, that's I, right. I think, um, it's important to be committed to a fellowship. I think that's a really good thing. It's some churches do formal membership. You have to do this to be a member. Some churches, they go beyond. They want to see your W-2s and find out how much you're going to give. Mm-hmm. for me, if if you if you are a believer, you're a member of the body of Christ. I do think you need to be part of a local church, be committed to that and I think that's important, but I also see that hey, the people that go to Turning Point are are there as much my brothers in in Christ and sisters in Christ as those that attend this local fellowship. And so I see it like that. And I think it's important for us to see it that way. Jesus wants us to be one. So R.W., man, you really opened up some good, some really good questions. Mm-hmm. I would say to you finally concerning your church, not teaching politics or or, or mentioning it all, I, I would go to the pastor and I would just sit down and say, brother, help me understand. I love this church. I appreciate this. Can you tell me why we don't ever talk about this? I want to hear it from you. I don't want to just assume. I actually want to know, and I, and I think um, that that'd be the, the biblical thing to do. And if you came to me and said, "Hey, John, can you explain this to me?" I'd be happy to sit down. If if I wasn't, you know, if you had a question, and I think it's worth it. You got a lot of great things going on in that church, as you mentioned. And, and maybe God might use you just to open up some conversation, even like he did today here on the program. So RW up there in Northern California, keep serving the Lord, brother. So glad you called. Stay in the line. Love to send you out some uh, materials that I think would be a real encouragement in your growth in the walk, in your walk with the Lord. Let's go now to Rod out in St. George, Utah. Rod, you got any snow out there in St. George right now?
6: Um, no, I'm in Medford, Oregon. I, I called. Oh, before you're in Medford, Oregon. George, maybe he had that in the system
1: okay well hey so we glad to be question. here again hey what's your question how can we help you today
6: it's pretty important um i was reading through isaiah this morning about the the um text if you can pull it up falling from the uh, stars
5: Ooh, and yes. then a
6: couple just a couple right after that the nlt version this pastor was doing it on youtube he, yeah. it says the part about the gods the mountain of the gods plural nlt and i i like the new living translation but i mainly like the new King James version. And I looked up NIV, everyone had God, not God's plural. Had you ever mm-hmm. noticed that with the NLT, which I thought was pretty solid. It said gods and that the mountain of the gods versus the, anyhow, I know you guys are sharp enough to look at the text real quick. You'll see what I'm yeah, talking I got about.
1: You. Yeah. Isaiah fourteen twelve. uh you know, it talks about that, the fall of, of Satan there and uh, is believed to be that, that reference, you know, Pastor Jeff, when you you see this uh, passage and it says God's plural, we know there's only one God. So what does that mean? Why did he use that word? Is that the original word? Uh, What what does he refer to
2: there in that passage? Well, when all else else fails, you go to the language Mm -hmm. and what does it say? Now, direct translation out of Hebrew. Here's what it says For you have said, now this is verse 13 where you find the plural gods in the NLT. For you have said in your heart, into heaven I will ascend. Above the stars of God, I will exalt my throne, and I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north, period. That's what it says. That's the original Hebrew uh, transliterated. So I don't know why the NLT translated a plural, little g, gods, unless it's some kind of a reference to idols. I don't know, because straight out of the Hebrew, Uh, You don't find that there, so your guess is as good as mine. Um, uh, But uh, I, you know, you can't beat the Hebrew, and that's what NLT. It's a translation, so it translated for some reason uh, that Hebrew word into gods, and I don't know why because that is not the transliteration that I'm looking at right now. So your guess, Rod,
1: is as good as mine. Yeah, it's a good question. You know, there's that other passage of scripture in Psalm 82 verse 6 where, you know, that also mentions that use that, uh, word gods, small g, you are all sons of the most high, but you will die like mere mortals at Psalm 82 6. It's a good question you ask. And I, I don't, I don't necessarily know why the translation has it, uh, plural there, but, um, I appreciate the call. Rod, I don't know if that helps you. Um, but what we do know is that Satan fell and uh the lord you know mm-hmm. he's destroy him ultimately got a piece of peace, he soon crushed satan under your feet um does that does that answer it at all for you
6: yeah i think it was before the israelites were there i think that's why they did it uh, idol worship going on there that makes sense
1: oh, i got gotcha. you yeah hey, i appreciate yeah. the call brother and uh thanks so much for uh for reaching out today stay on the line we'd love to send you out some materials got some great stuff we'd love to send out to our listeners folks i can't believe it we're at the end of the program it's been an amazing tuesday here on to Every man and answer Pastor Jeff, thanks so much for answering today. Folks, if you missed your call, be sure to call back tomorrow. We'll get you right in the program. Eric, Lisa, thanks for for hanging in there. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless you.
0: To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226. Or write us, To Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash TEMA. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian satellite network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station.